Hello, my name is Adam Snyder, and this is Good Bad Movies. I'm here, of course, with the one, the only, the Adrian Lopez. How are you today? I'm groovy, brother. <laughs> today we're doing a movie that is close to both me and mine and you, you and yours's hearts. And that movie <laughs> is The Evil Dead 2013. But so, drop the the. Drop the the. It's just Evil Dead? Yeah, it's just Evil Dead. Evil Dead 2013, there you go. This is a remake to The Evil Dead, which is a 1981 movie made by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell. And we've talked about that movie on this podcast. We're going back to our roots. I think it was the second episode we talked about that movie. And yep. here we are, yeah. all this time later, talking about the reboot slash remake. And it's nice. It's, it's nice to return to form, if you will. Yeah, and I like what you said there, reboot slash remake. Did you know? I'm going to knock your socks off with this one. This movie is actually a sequel canonically is it canonically a sequel. a sequel i did not know this until like 35 minutes ago <laughs> i read a a interview with the director fede alvarez and he said this is actually a sequel that takes place 30 years after the original film so i had no idea it doesn't really feel like a sequel that reads uh, not at all in the movie itself so not at all and and this is not to say that's a negative thing, but yes. I uh, I just want to throw that out there. I thought that was super cool. That is pretty cool. So at the beginning, when we see this girl being burned, is is that when was that in this timeline? Yeah, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> the Evil Dead movies clearly do not care about like continuity. <laughs> I don't think they're trying to take themselves incredibly seriously. It also just to throw this out there as well, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi haven't acknowledged this as a sequel it's only the director that has said that so take that with a grain of salt i suppose but he did say it and it is canon but yeah i guess i guess you just brought us up to the the cold open which rocks you want to talk about it a little bit okay why well, jump right into it uh we begin with this girl running through what is perhaps the most diabolical swamp i've ever seen no eviler swamp ever existed this thing is gross you know, it, it, it's filled with trees that are without leaves. There's muck everywhere, uh, an evil fog. It's the scariest woods there is. And uh, some men nab her, and she wakes up in a cabin, in a basement of a cabin somewhere. And she has a burlap sack over her head. And they remove the sack, and this man walks up to her and starts calling her honey. It's okay. Uh, and from the dialogue, we gather that this is her father. His wife is dead, her mother. And she is, like, saying, please don't do it, daddy. And he's, like, pouring gasoline all over her. And then they light her on fire, and she starts screaming and cussing and speaking in evil tongues. Uh, her voice drops an octave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's clearly possessed, uh, cold open. They burned a possessed woman, I suppose. That's the cold open. They also blow her head off with a shotgun. That, Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> they blow her head off with a shotgun, and as it splatters, that's the cold open. The yeah. evil dead. And it's, it's honestly, in my opinion, an expert cold open. It sets the pace, the tone for the film. It throws you a curveball immediately because you're watching this little girl run for her life and you're you're immediately sympathizing with her. But when you see her father and you, you see his anguish and, and you see the problem at hand, uh, they completely subvert your expectations. I love this cold open. I remember my first time seeing this, it blew me away because I did not think this movie would be good. And uh, I was wrong. When I first watched this, I too did not think this would be good. I think this is a movie nobody expected and nobody asked for something nobody thought would be good how could you remake the evil dead it's a classic yada 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 you've heard that before and they did it and it was really good 
Like, to yeah. everyone's surprise, to my surprise, at least, I love this movie. Yeah, this movie did, did really, and I think it did well, too. I, I know it's got, you know, kind of a mediocre rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a, like, a 60-plus percent. I don't really remember the number off offhand. But I think anybody that has seen this movie, a fan, any average moviegoer that's seen this movie will tell you how pleasantly surprising it is. I know that it was at South by Southwest here in Austin, and the thing that got the most attention was the the VFX and the, the gore makeup, and rightfully so, because that is this movie's bread and butter. It is such a strength. That speaks to the, the fact that this movie somehow does this incredible juggling act where it does everything the original is loved for, but it also doesn't step on the original's toes. It's not exactly, it's not a remake, sort of a reboot, you know, but it mirrors the story, the setup, the like formula of five people cabin in the woods, one gets possessed, yet it also doesn't try to be campy in the same way the original's campy. It doesn't try to redo the characters, but it does put a, a loving emphasis on the effects. And I think that is how you make this movie perfect. That's how everybody's happy. So like I said, the plot parallels the original, but it's not. And I love that because they didn't try to redo Ash. And I think that is mm. integral to this movie's success. You can't redo Ash. Bruce Campbell is Ash. And uh, to try to get somebody else in here to be the Ash, to have some new face try to do that, uh, would immediately alienate everybody, I feel like. And they didn't do that. And it's very right. smart of them. Instead, though, we do have this same scenario of five people in a house two men three women uh there's a brother and a sister and there's a couple but that's exactly where the similarities end after that i i like all the changes what they're really there for so after the cold open all these people show up to the cabin we have there's mia paid by jane levy who is the reason they're all there she's a heroin addict she's trying to stop cold turkey so she's had her friends take her out to some cabin in the woods so she's nowhere near anything and she can't use anymore and she's forced to face her addiction head on and she just has to withstand the withdrawal symptoms she she has to get through it um and her friends are there to support her her friends include olivia played by jessica lucas eric played by lou taylor pucci and natalie who's played by elizabeth blackmore david and natalie are a couple and olivia and eric are a couple played by shiloh fernandez david is her brother who has been absent from her life for a long time but now he's back in it he's trying to make amends and he's trying to support her throughout her withdrawal and that's our cast that's our setting and that's our setup yeah and right off the bat shiloh fernandez is david this guy he's whatever like, he's pretty average in fact i think they weren't going for a bruce campbell what they were kind of going for was more like your uh jared padalecki type guy yes. Yes. You know, strong and silent type. Jim Padalecki in Friday kind of, the 13th, right? Yeah. Right, right. Qu kind of pretty, roguish at the same time sort of thing. He's not super interesting. His girlfriend, not super interesting. They do have that friend, Eric, who I think is probably the most interesting of the, the fodder characters is what I'm going to call them. Because he is a professor and he's incredibly well-read. And he, of course, is the guy that finds the Necronomicon eventually. And he's really the only guy that, funny enough, knows what to do, but also is the one that unleashes the, the demon. So he's a double-edged sword to have on your team, I guess. But I'd say he's the most interesting character outside of Mia. That's everybody. I... <laughs> so that's our setup. That's the movie. They get in the cabin. They're 
unwinding, you know, they're ready for whatever could happen, uh, the, for the mental and emotional anguish that their friend Mia's probably about to go through. Uh, and while they're messing around in the cabin, they discover the basement. And wow. Yes. Do you want to describe the basement? Yes, I'll describe the basement. They, I think they smell something, right, as they're entering the cabin? Yes, Mia smells and, something. Yeah, Mia smells something. And is it initially written off as just like a, ah, you druggy? Like, yeah, they think it's, well, yeah. she's just really hypersensitive because of the withdrawals. But then, you right. know, come to find out she is hypersensitive, and that's why she was able to pick up on it so quick. Right. She is hypersensitive. She has sensory hypersensitivity. These people have complete emotional insensitivity. They <laughs> yeah, they- They're terrible friends. But whatever. So, actually, eh, the friends are okay. Her brother's a real D-bag, though. So, yeah, she's smelling it first, and then eventually they do go down into the basement. Uh, the door was hit hidden under a carpet and lo and behold they have tons of cats just hung up from the ceiling like skinned and hung up and so you know it's a party (laughs) and there's a ton of flies and it's just disgusting and of course what does my man eric find down there in the basement he finds the necronomicon did you notice anything interesting about the necronomicon in this supposed sequel Adam? Um, the Necronomicon Ex Mortis? Yes. Did you notice Did you notice the difference? Uh, between the Necronomicon in this movie and in the originals? There's not yes. a face. That's one. There's no face, dude! <laughs> Come on. There's no face. Yeah, I, that upset me. I don't know. When I saw it, I, I wasn't into that. I was like, dang, bring the face back. I get anyway. that, but I, I understand how tonally they maybe didn't want it to be so outwardly campy. That's true. That's true. And I guess we can get into the more grounded nature of this movie as compared to the first one in a little bit. But but Eric does find the book and he starts going through it. And I think he stupidly gets a paper cut. Yes. He's reading it out loud. He understands the language also, and he's reading it aloud, which you're not supposed to do. Like, you're not supposed to translate it. And I think he's even told, stop reading it aloud. And uh, like a fool, he completes the ritual by getting a accidental paper cut, dripping blood onto the page, and boom goes the dynamite. We have a demon movie. Eric, come on. This is the ultimate fumble. The biggest blunder. Eric and the lady from um, Tour de France, they really messed up. They find it in this horrific murder basement. It's... Jeffrey Dahmer's sweetest dreams are filled with this basement. Oh, yeah. You know, he finds this horrible book bound in human flesh, and immediately they're like, don't touch that. You know, in in the original, they just find a book in a basement with a tape recording. That's all they find. In this one, they find that book in the ninth circle. That's where the book was. And so they're like, don't read it. And he does anyway, out loud to himself. Eric, why? Why? Yeah, and he he goes as far to translate it too. I mean, he's literally translating the text like in his head and then reading it out loud. Just keep it to yourself. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't it say in the book, don't read this out loud? Now we can complain about the face not being there, but this is a very interesting, design i think for the necronomicon first they find it it's wrapped in a plastic bag and chains so you can't open it they have to cut through the chains unwrap it and open it and read it and throughout the book in blood there's like the original ink latin words on the page and then written in blood are like warnings that are like don't read it out loud this one will come for you like crazy insane rambling warnings and he ignores the bloody warnings so he can read this latin out loud and summon this demon he's curious he had every sign to turn back and he plowed ahead instead he's a curious guy what can i say but yeah he he really he messed up here so going back into the theme of these friends being terrible (laughs) Mia starts to, you know, feel odd 
like after this terrible, terrible thing that Eric just did. So it starts with Mia, of course, being affected by the scent, right? Then they find out why that was happening. But then her, her symptoms from addiction actually or from her addiction and her withdrawal actually starts to get a lot worse you know she's having issues uh, i think that you know she starts to freak out at one point and they they do go into the fact that this has happened with mia before the last time they tried to do this sort of thing this detox with her she left anyway mia tries to leave again she steals her brother's car keys takes the cars deep into the woods and all of a sudden, she sees what looks like a demonic version of herself in the road. And she swerves off really hard. She takes like a hard right into an embankment, like some water and some vines. Uh, and as she tries to crawl out, that is where she is possessed. There's a struggle and the thorn bush comes to life. She, she gets God. And it's a horrible, horrible scene too. She gets, you know, in, in the original scene where Ash's sister Cheryl gets attacked by these trees it's you know clearly just cheese your vines it's it's just props they made in a in a flash on the go but here they've got all the cgi and special effects they have they have an arsenal right at their fingertips and they make it gross and rancid and evil and this is a great parallel to the original that when you're watching this, this is what makes you think, well, here's the mirroring. This is why it's a remake, maybe not a reboot or a sequel, is because the sister uh, gets scared by something in the house, runs out, uh, and then gets attacked by the forest itself, and then comes back possessed, right? That's how the original plays out, and that's how this one plays out. That's why it's sort of a remake in my mind. That's actually one of the uh, criticisms I read about this film, that... It just wasn't very original, just gory over the top for no reason. And it didn't it didn't bring enough originality to the table. How do you feel about those criticisms? I understand them. But like I said, I think this is a reboot slash remake. It's not really a sequel at all. I like the things that are the same, but I like what they changed. I like that it mirrors the original plot, but then subverts your expectations. Just at the end, I really like the ending of this movie yeah that's actually why i love this movie so much is, is the ending and i'm quoting them not myself but what they call a lack of originality i forgive because i think the the fresh new coat that they give this movie is pretty enthralling i mean the the, the gore is top notch i think mia the, the the actress that plays mia yeah i think jane levy is actually quite strong in this movie she she makes the movie really interesting to watch and for that i forgive what what they call a lack of originality when jane levy's performance really starts to take off in this movie is when they introduce her deadite self and we get our first glimpse at her deadite self in in the water when when she falls into this like thicket slash marsh thing and she gets out of the car, which is like starting to sink in the mud. She gets out and makes eye contact with a deadite version of herself. And it has this nasty forked tongue. And it finishes the ritual after she was just attacked by those vines by like spitting a bloody sluggish thing into her mouth and like basically like kissing her in just the most vile way. And that's when her character completely shifts and we see a completely new side of Mia, uh, the, the, the evil dead one, if you will, the evil dead side. So to the, they get Mia back to the cabin and they have her go take a shower and she goes to take the shower and she turns it on hot and the water scalds her flesh it's boiling hot and she just sits there in it and doesn't move and her her skin is blistering and 
sloughing off in the heat and nobody notices there's a problem until uh, after she's been significantly burned uh, and then they go in and, and pull her out and they think it's all just some crazy withdrawal symptoms but at this point we right. know better and they think it's just withdrawal especially after the stunt that they just think she pulled by driving into a swamp and they never give her the benefit of the doubt even when she blisters her own skin off and she's like something's not right they're just like ah it's withdrawal and this is one of the a few like red flags that they get she after this after after her hot shower david <sighs> takes her to the hospital and all they can't they can't leave they find out that the road is just completely flooded and there is no route to the hospital so they go back to the cabin they take care of of mia to the best of their ability they sedate her and they keep talking about her and and how how much of an issue they're having with her and that's when mia walks into the room with a shotgun and just fires at her brother <laughs> and she nails him right in the shoulder and there's a big struggle for the gun and during the struggle mia pukes out that nasty substance that the deadite put into her and it goes all over olivia's face yeah she gets right on top of her and just pukes right into her face like this horrible it's almost blood basically like blood and right. bile i guess and and after this that is where things really hit the fan this is where we we ramp it up to 10 and now i would like to talk about the greatest thing about this movie the best allure to this movie and that would be the gore the effects yeah. if you don't like gore if gore is not your thing if you're squeamish at all turn away <laughs> turn away now because this movie i think i'm fair in saying this i think this is the goriest movie i've ever seen this and terrifier i think are the two goriest <laughs> movies i've ever seen I th yeah. the effects are better in this one than terrifier though I'd absolutely say. without question yeah this movie is it's almost like marvelous how uh, how good the effects are it blew my mind the first time i watched it i i was not into horror movies for the longest time, I was actually incredibly terrified of them. And this movie, when I watched it, I think maybe freshman year of high school, it showed me the ways. It showed me the potentials of horror. The little world that they build, of course, the, the lore that they establish at the end uh, really drew me in. But the first thing that really caught my eye was, of course, the gore. And there's a lot of it. I guess we should talk about some of the wounds. <laughs> yeah. So the way these deadites mutilate themselves and others seems to be following along with images in the Necronomicon. And we get a glimpse of the book. The wind blows and turns a few pages, and it lands on a image of a skeleton with a knife in one hand and a its own face in the other. They're sort of like tarot card printed images. They don't really go into this about what these images are or what they mean. It, it's some sort of ritual that when the ritual is complete, some emissary of hell will come up from the ground and be born if it can get five victims. And, and they sort of foretell what's going to happen. And this one is of a skeleton holding its own face with a knife in its hand like it cut it off and then we go back to olivia who has just been vomited on by a possessed mia and as we all know this sort of like deadite possession works kind of like a infection would like a virus would so she's been infected she goes into the bathroom to watch off and then she stops dead in her track goes slack jawed now you know that olivia's not there anymore now it's deadites and eric goes to check on her and he finds her huddled in a corner of the bathroom uh, the lights quit working in the most perfect horror movie fashion and they're barely flickering it's mostly dark and she turns around and she's broken the mirror and she's holding a piece of the glass and she's just sawing her cheek off 
through her mouth and that that right there is where uh these these fodder characters really really get hit hard really yeah i love the shot where olivia turns around slowly just as eric uh starts to starts to walk in and check on her and he's like baby baby and she gives you that nasty like toothy grin through that terrible terrible wound that she's just given herself completely carved into her face that's a pretty grisly shot it actually that one gave me some chills it it gives me chills every time actually yeah and that's just tip of the iceberg with this movie the body horror gets worse from here and it's such an extreme like we're we're not even halfway through the movie yet we're like barely a quarter in aren't we you know we're we're not it's not we've got a whole lot of ground to cover and that's how dark this has turned already Yes, so it gets even worse, right? Uh, Olivia's just carved into her face, and after she turns and stares at Eric, she goes and she stabs his chest, drives a piece of glass into his chest, almost right into the sternum, I think. And while he goes and tries to leave the bathroom, she just starts shanking him with a needle that I think they used to sedate Mia previously. And she gets him right in the eyeball with his hypodermic needle. And they show it, like they show it go into his eyeball. He unfortunately has to has to fight her and he does end up killing her with the piece of a sink, am I right? So when he turns to run away from her, he slips on very much like it would have been a banana peel, but instead of a banana peel, it was her severed flap of cheek. <laughs> and he <laughs> smashes his head on the toilet or on the sink. You know, that's why he's on the ground and why she's able to stab him. And he uses that shard of sink to smash her head in. And he's severely wounded you think this is mortal for him but let me tell you eric is a superman eric takes everything you know like we were talking about how he really summoned the demon and caused all this at the beginning but i didn't say eric sucked i didn't say i hate eric because eric might have summoned this demon and he might have caused all of this but he did not deserve what happened to him (laughs) he was brutalized throughout the length of this film i think he was alive for most of the film and the entire time like every single deadite just did something horrible some horrible mutilation to poor eric he gets messed up over and over again right when you think he's dead he's back just so he can get messed up some more yeah after the needle in the eye i would have crawled up into a ball and let them eat me for all i cared i but eric fights on i did notice your silence about eric you love eric don't you i i i respect this character's tenacity i'll say hey i said eric's a cool character i like eric yeah he's he's by far the best of the frivolous unnecessary characters he might have caused it but he sure does above and beyond to try to undo it you know yeah he does he does he tries to finish it and we're this is a quarter of the gore there's much more so Eric's obviously hurt, and that leaves David and Natalie, who are the other couple, David, of course, being the the brother of Mia. They're doing their best to uh, take care of his injuries, and all of a sudden, Natalie, like, wanders into another room, and that's when she, she starts hearing something. She hears Mia crying through the cellar door that's not new in this franchise deadites have been known to to try to lure people to them with with like human sounds and human voices but as natalie you know tries to take care of mia all of a sudden she is attacked and we of course know what's going to happen to natalie after this well it's Um, worse than what you've said actually yeah, well, we forgot to mention, after the scene where Mia shoots her brother and vomits all over Olivia, they lock her in the basement, and, and they do that classic deadite in the basement. It, it's peeking up, but it can't get out of the basement. It can just peek up out of the hatch, sort of. And like you said, she puts on her real girl Mia voice to lure Natalie down to the basement. And 
there's this shot from below of this wooden rotted stair step that goes into the basement almost giving away like a sponge underneath natalie's foot when she goes down and of course you know that's coming back immediately then it turns out mia is actually still possessed jk she's not okay and natalie tries to run away steps on that step uh, falls through hits her head goes out she wakes yeah. up She's in the basement with Mia. She's waving a box cutter at Mia, like, don't come near me. Mia gets it from her, and she opens it That's up. That's when she forks her yes. tongue. She opens up the box cutter and looks at Mia and, like, licks it and just saws her tongue in half with the box cutter. And then she throws it aside, grabs Natalie's head, and just sticks her tongue down her throat. And it's the most vile thing. Yeah, it's disgusting. And they sh- they show it. They show they do a great job. Again, I know that I'm basically repeating myself a hundred times here, but they show the tongue split down the middle. That's the nutty shot. I really, really like that shot. And and you're just staring at Mia's cold, dead eyes. It's it's vile. Yeah, it is gruesome. Every every dismemberment and mutilation is so gruesome in this movie, and so like meticulously shown nothing is hidden nothing's implied they show it to you in hd detail yeah well it's <laughs> they do after the makeout from the devil uh natalie escapes and in the struggle uh, of her falling down there getting back up mia has bitten her in the hand and now she has this festering deadite bite wound on her hand and that's become a real problem for her and it sort of mimics the original ash's girlfriend in the original i forget what her name was she gets stabbed in the ankle by a deadite and from that wound uh you can see black veins grow and take over her whole body and this feels like an homage to that from this bite wound black corruption grows throughout natalie's arm and it looks almost like she can't control her arm anymore like it's got a mind of its own like clearly it's turning evil but natalie is not gonna go down without a fight she gets an electric turkey carver and she plugs it into the wall and from the other room mia's like don't do it don't do it don't do it and uh she saws her arm off yeah Oh. Uh, and it's a great touch. There's a lot of attention to detail in the choice of a turkey carver because they, they came here for holidays with their parents. And I love that that would be there. You know, it's it's a very practical weapon of choice, if you will. That's one of the best parts of the movie, in my opinion, because it really establishes the evil of this creature, of this deadite. Because it says, no, don't do it, don't do it. Making her think that it will do something. But we we, we do learn in just a little bit that that will have no effect. Her cutting her hand off didn't stop the process. She did it for nothing. She's um, still got the demon tongue down her throat, so she's still infected. Right, but of course the demon, you know, is, is playing mind games with her, telling her, no, don't do it, don't do it. You know, all that, but for what? In fact, it, it just goes on to continue the, uh, I think now that's two down of five that they need for this ritual. I would have said three, because I keep thinking Eric's gone down and then he crops back up. Yeah. <laughs> barely alive. Limping. And he comes back. He's about to have. He's about to have his uh, an even worse injury. Yeah. So I guess we're just moving on from just horrific. I won't even say kill to kill. It's more mutilation to mutilation. But yeah. David is patching up Eric, who's stabbed in the eye. He's like, I think this is not just a virus. Uh, David does not believe it's a demon. He's like, Well, it's a virus, I think. And and Eric's like, What kind of virus is this? I summoned a demon. We we got to do something. And while he's being patched up, in comes Deadite Natalie with a nail gun (laughs) she pops one good into david's shoulder and then poor eric he takes 
many nails to the chest, body, and arm, especially. There's this right. horrific and, shot of him screaming, and he, he puts his hand up in front of his face to guard it, and, and the shot is sort of from over his shoulder, and you get the back of his hand, and, and you hear the, the nail gun get fired, and you see a nail appear through his palm and out the back of his hand and his arm just gets peppered with nails sticking out and going through and it's so grisly oh man poor eric does he not get some in the face too he gets a few in the face as well yeah yeah eric once again just taking the brunt of it so so natalie tries to to attack eric even more after she gets him with a nail gun and david is is now he gets himself in the mix trying to defend his friend and she now has a crowbar whips out a, a crowbar that was in her inventory <laughs> and she starts to whack him good and then of course eric is in the struggle he raises his hand and boom gets the oh. crowbar split down Ooh. his fingers this might have been um, the worst shot for me in the whole movie yeah so so nails to the forearm nails to the face and then just moments later the crowbar comes down between his his ring finger and uh, his middle finger and splits his hand down the middle. And again, they show you all of it. David does manage to get a gun. He shoots Natalie with the shotgun. Here, she, uh, I think he blasts off her other arm. <laughs> yes, he does, actually. Yeah. And, you know, she starts to cry, like, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you do this to me? And she dies in his arms because she's no longer necessary. The ritual is complete. She bleeds out and she dies in her boyfriend's arms. So that is the end of Natalie. So so Eric, having already read the book, David starts using context clues from what Eric read aloud. And he decides to burn Olivia's corpse and dismember Natalie's. And he wants to actually burn down the entire cabin. But as he's starting to do it, he is, uh, you know, he's, he's putting gasoline or, or lighter fluid, whatever it is, all over the cabin. And his sister begins singing a song, one that their mother used to sing. And his mother's dead, but she used to sing that to them. And, you know, she, she uses that, that pathos, goes straight towards his heart. And he decides he can't burn down the cabin. He really should have, but he, he just couldn't do it. So he decides to do something else. He is going to bury her alive. And he digs her a pretty shallow grave and he goes and he tries to get his sister but there is of course another struggle the basement is flooded i'd say probably up to their knees when he tries to get a hold of her she gets the best of him and starts drowning him beneath the water eric our, our savior comes in and just cracks her in the back of the head and he is able to save david but this is the end of eric he he's finally stabbed by mia with that box cutter and uh, he he does die that is the end of of our dear, dear Eric. Three strikes, so, you're out. Three strikes, you're out. Once again, Eric to the rescue. He had his hand nailed to his chest. Like, I, I thought for sure he was gone, and yet he managed to limp his way into that basement and pull that deadite off of his friend. So now that she's knocked out, David is able to get her to the grave. And this is when David's character starts to become uh, pretty interesting. He, he starts to starts to invent things. He's, he's creative. And he creates like a defibrillator using the needle and batteries and some other crazy shenanigans. And he, he buries his sister just after dressing her in like a nice white dress, like giving her like a proper burial. After he puts her in the grave, he covers her with more dirt until she ultimately suffocates to death. And that is what the, the ritual calls for, right? That's how he kind of 
cleanses her body. So now he drives the needle into her chest after tearing all the dirt off of her, bringing her back, and it, he does successfully resuscitate her. And all is well. They, they share an intimate moment, and for a moment, there's peace. Yes. For a moment. So I would like to clarify that one more time. The Book of the Dead said you can only kill them by live burial, burning alive, or dismemberment. This way, he has buried her alive. She did technically die. Then he dug right. her up and brought her back to life. So she is no longer possessed, really. I mean, technically, they didn't specify in that book that they couldn't come back to life afterwards if they were resuscitated somehow, and she was, and she's no longer possessed. She's even healed, actually. I, I don't know if you noticed, but she's no longer burnt or her tongue's not cut up anymore. And all is yeah. well. But another thing you'll notice is she did technically die due to the deadite. The deadite did technically kill her as well. So on the flip side of this ritual coin, the other ritual requires five people to be killed through the deadites in order to awaken the hell spawn. So both of these rituals are a step closer to completion. They, they, there's two loopholes being exploited here. Right. Do you want to see what happens next then? We're, and and that's what I, I love about this ending, this twist that they throw at you. So David goes, him and his sister are ready to get out of here. The water has receded. They're, it looks like they might be able to go. And who is back? It's Eric, but he's a deadite. <laughs> and I think he just shanks David in the neck. And David can't do much, right? He, he patches the wound to the best of his ability with his hand. Mia goes to help him, but he locks her out of the house. And he he burns down the house with it with him in it, killing himself and killing Eric. But of course, we now know that the ritual has been completed. And uh, you might think in this moment when watching the movie, Mia is free to go. You know, she lost her brother, but he did something heroic. He saved her. Actually, he didn't. He he kind of he kind of made it worse because as Mia watches the cabin burn down in all of its glory, blood, like freaking blood just starts to rain down from the sky. It's like a Slayer album, but in film. And and that's when the best part of this movie happens. Go ahead, Adam. All right. Well, the the ritual is complete. Although Mia is alive, she's no longer possessed, but she did technically die. All five have been killed, and the hell spawn rises from the grave. I think it's the woman from the beginning, is it not? If I may. What they're going for here is the classic imagery of a androgynous demonic figure. Um, it's completely naked, and that's what they do here in this, in, in, at this part of the movie. I don't think it's the same woman that you see at the beginning, though. I don't. I don't know. It, everything is covered in blood. It's it's pretty obscured. But uh... Yeah, but I, I do know that's what they're going for, right, is that, that classic demon imagery. And when I say classic, I'm, I'm talking about, like, ju classic Judeo-Christian portrayals. There you go. It's just a, a being, a humanoid. Right. But it's awakened, and it, it just it seems to be another deadite but of its own, not possessing anyone, but of its own body. And it starts crawling towards poor Mia. It starts messing her up. Mia runs, uh, she runs into the tool shed and she's looking around, what could she use? There's a machete. Oh, she goes for it. But wait a minute, what's that below the machete? They do this great sort of like, almost grabs it and then she really grabs the better thing. And that is of course, a chainsaw. The chainsaw, the classic Evil Dead weapon. The chainsaw, right. of course she has to have it. She pours fuel into it with shaking hands. She she gets it to work. She runs back out. She crawls underneath the Jeep. The monster walks towards her. She can see its legs under the Jeep. And, and, and it's like the opposite of when the monster grabs you from under the car. But actually she sticks the chainsaw out and just saws off a foot from underneath yeah. the Jeep. And the monster <laughs> 
monster goes flying down and it now is one leg less and it's crawling under the car towards her and Mia just barely manages to get it out before the monster lifts the jeep and throws it on Mia who couldn't quite get out in time she isn't completely crushed but her arm is now trapped underneath this jeep she's like struggling to pull her arm as she's screaming in pain and she looks and sees the face of the monster crawling from behind the jeep slowly towards her and she does the coolest thing you could do and it's so grisly she puts her feet against the truck and pushes with all her might she says goodbye to the arm you can see it just tearing away she realizes the only way to get out of this the only way she can reach this chainsaw is by removing the arm so she pushes and just pulls the arm off basically uh, and then she manages to get the chainsaw and then the best killing blow it's like it's like it's from doom or something the the crawling demon just looks up at her and she says i will feast on your soul and she says feast on this and sticks the chainsaw in her mouth and bisects the demon right yeah, down it's the super center. rad it's super rad and at this point in the film you feel like it took you on such a journey it goes from this basic cabin in the woods movie to this gore fest to all of a sudden this heavy metal battle between good and evil and yeah just after mia is able to kill it the corpse sinks into the gross bloody muddy ground and the rain stops and you get this final shot of mia just walking away from the cabin now one support group less and one arm less but still alive (laughs) still alive yeah still alive and without um, a heroin addiction no arm to inject it into yeah so so the final shot or so you think is her walking alone into the woods and then all of a sudden we get one last look at the necronomicon just lay in there and it closes by itself so to be continued this movie makes me wince and i've seen it all it makes me wince yeah, and this i've movie's... seen it I've seen it, and I, even knowing what would happen, I was still like, oh, no. Exactly. Me too. I've, I, again, I've seen this movie three or four times now, and every time I, I, I struggle. But yes. that's not to say this movie isn't fantastic. It speaks for itself. You and I have sung its praises, and I only hope that everybody else gives it a shot. Now, did you see the after credit scene? Yes, I did. The quote-unquote after credit scene scene is putting it strongly. Uh, it's just the silhouette of Ash Williams saying groovy and that's it (laughs) yeah that's the whole thing you know they did want to do a sequel to this movie i can see why they didn't though i think it works great standalone yeah no it's it's perfect the way it is and i i do like seeing ash but yeah it's a nice little thing that they toss at you if you waited yeah i'm sure that was a treat for the fans that were in the movie theaters and waited you can rent this movie all places you can rent it i don't think it's anywhere you can get it just with a subscription or for free but i'd say it's worth the three dollars i would absolutely say that yeah this is a great creature feature slash gory movie slash everything watch yes. it if you love cabin in the woods movies if you love creature features if you love ghost movies and most importantly if you love body horror and gore this is the film for body horror please give it a watch if you want to be scared watch this movie if you're someone who really can't handle horror movies then this is probably not for you jack this is too this is too strong for you but if you really want to be scared at a movie or maybe you want to be scared with someone you want to pull the blankets over your eyes and cuddle up next to someone and cringe at a monster on a screen then this is a great movie for just that absolutely couldn't have said it better myself. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this fantastic episode, Adrian. Thanks for having me, buddy. As always. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Goodbye.